Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we have a little something new, and it's something that Maddie hinted at in our end of the year episode. Maddie, you want to tell them what we're doing today? Yes. So if you listened to our end of the year recap episode, which was our one of the last episodes of 2021, then you might remember that we teased that we're going to have a new series starting this year in 2022. And this episode is the first episode in our new series, which is Country Spotlight. So throughout the year, we're going to be spotlighting different regions and different countries and talking about what the seafood industry is like in those places, like how it came to be, what it's like today, what's the future for it. So we're super excited to have this series be launching because another really popular series that we've had in the past is Species Spotlights. And this is sort of similar to that, but just a different approach. So we're super excited to be bringing this to you guys today. Yeah, people love the Species Spotlights episodes. Those things are... yeah getting more and more downloads every day. But if you also hearken back even further to when we spoke with Julie Kuchipadov from Sage. Hey, how was yes. that? Not bad, huh? Great. Um, that was a really good try. I think you I, actually got it. I think I did Kuchipadov. too. Let me know if I got that wrong, but I've practiced a lot and some of you have heard me practice. Um, <laughs> if you remember that episode, I actually mentioned that Russia is a country that I know nothing about. I, I found myself realizing that I just I'm a complete blank slate when it comes to Russia. And I talked about that with her. And I talk about that in this episode because our very first country spotlight episode is on Russia. And we are lucky enough to be joined by Konstantin Skorovsky, who is the market development representative for GSA and BAP and BSP in Russia. And he's been in the industry for a very long time. So he's a great person to be talking to about this. Yeah, and it's great because there's actually very little aquaculture that happens in Russia, which I learned from him. And, you know, it, it, we talk about different things that we normally talk about because we are generally very aquaculture heavy and, and there's not a lot of aquaculture going on there. So I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners will learn a lot as well. I hope you do. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody, like I do every time, to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen to podcasts so that Every time we release a new episode, you can get that episode directly downloaded onto your device automatically as soon as it's available. And if you like what we're doing, then you should totally follow us on Twitter, which our handle is at AquademiaPod. And if you want to get in touch with us, the best way to do that would be on Twitter or by visiting globalseafood.org slash podcast. And if you scroll down, we have a nice contact form. You can give us your information and whatever comment or suggestion you have for us. The last thing that you can do for us that we would love it if you do is to leave us a reading and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. Yeah, you know, we say that every time, and I know we've talked about this before, but the reason we ask people to to leave written re reviews and, and comments and stuff like that is not to stroke our egos. It does do that. We do like to read nice things about ourselves because we're human, but that's not the reason we ask you to do it. The reason we ask you to do it is when people are searching podcast players like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, if they're searching for topics such as seafood, aquaculture, fisheries, sustainability, cooking, anything like that, we want to show up in that search result. And the more written reviews and the more five-star reviews that you get, the algorithm just puts you in those search engines more often. So that is why... We want you guys to please take a couple minutes, 
go on your favorite podcast player and just leave us a rating and review because it will help us get into more search results so more people can listen and we can grow the community. So that's all. So uh, just a little bit about this episode. This episode got a little wonky near the end because we kind of lost the connection and then we had to reestablish it. I think I spliced it together in a way that you may not notice. But if you if it does <laughs> seem like there's a little bit of a jump in the conversation, like you feel like you may have missed something, that's probably where that happened. Just Just a fair warning. And also this conversation, Maddie wasn't able to join us for it just like Justin isn't able to join us this morning. So it's just me and Justin speaking with Khan, but I, I do think it's a great conversation. I think you'll enjoy it and I think you'll learn something. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, we're sitting down with Konstantin Zgorovsky, which surprisingly is a lot easier for me to say than Julie Kuchipatov. Um, and I'm actually pretty proud of the way I just said it just now. But Constantine, you, you're part of the, um, are you part of the market development team here at GSA? Yes, I am part of uh, market development for uh, Russia, oh sorry, for Europe and uh, Pacific area. Europe and Pacific. And Khan, is, you, you grew up in Russia your whole life? You've yes, I here. was born in Caucasus area. And not so far from Chechnya, probably we heard about Chechnya. Yep. And uh, I spent my childhood there. After that, we moved to Moscow. My mother was, took part in the Second World too. She was a surgeon. She commanded a oh, wow. uh, machine gun. She was decorated and very strong lady. She yeah, published 10 books and she is a PhD. She's, she was a biologist, so I follow her. And I, we moved to Far East, after, uh, to Siberia, then to Crimea, then to Far East. And in Far East, I graduated from university as, as a biologist, as a marine biologist. Awesome. And uh, Khan is here today to talk to us about the seafood industry in Russia, because if you did hear that episode where we talked to Julie about her time in Russia, you know that we, and by we I mean me, I don't, I don't know anything about Russia. I, I literally know nothing. Apparently, it's got like forty-eight time zones or something crazy like that. I don't, I don't know anything about you, about your country, Khan. And so I'm really excited to have you on. I'm excited to learn, and I'm excited for you to share all kinds of knowledge with our Aquademia listeners. We really appreciate it. But you gave us a little bit of background. But I want to get, I want to get our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit more. So they have an idea of who you are. So can you just kind of give us a quick rundown of your career, how you got into seafood and how you got into what you're doing now? So you, you got up to the point, finished finished university with marine biology, and then, then what happened? Uh, then I entered, uh, started to work for the Pacific Institute of Fishery Oceanography. And I spent there 18 years uh, as a marine biologist, uh, defended my degree on shrimps in the Bering Sea. And one of interest, uh, one interesting point is that uh, I was head of expedition, several expeditions, and I took part in three expeditions with submersible. So we dived down to 600 meters, studying shrimps, scallops, crabs, behavior, migrations, number of them, abundance, and so on and so forth. So it was pretty exciting. That is exciting. 
Yeah, and uh, during Gorbachev time, it was not easy time for science. I started to do some business, and uh, one bank gave us an opportunity to operate fishing vessels. We operated one big mother boat with 300 people on board processing fish, seafood, uh, one big trawler, five medium trawler, and one transport boat. And it was a nightmare because it's few people operating huge business and a lot of disorder around and so on and so forth. And it was a risky time actually. After that, I consulted some companies, for example, com companies who are working with Russians from Japan, in particular Mitsui, uh, Osaka Oichiba, Kaiosuisan, and so on. And it was interesting because I started to study Japanese because, because I loved Japan. And it is only one and a half hour flight from Vladivostok to, to, to get to Niigata. So in five hours drive from China and North Korea and not so far from Seoul. So I love Far East. While Far East, it was an interesting place. It is an interesting place still. Uh, after that, I joined WWF, World Wildlife Fund. And I used to work for it also 18 years. Oh, wow. And... I finished it as a director of sustainable fishery program. And we worked with uh, big companies. Uh, we trying to convince them they should be white and fluffy. Uh, and we also worked on poaching and so on. And it also was very interesting work and challenging. And three years ago, I retired as a director of this program. And I continued to consult, to advise the World Wildlife Fund. I was a representative of WF Russia in marine team, global marine team of WF. And only recently I joined uh, Global Seafood Alliance. And now I'm representative of Global Seafood Alliance in Russia. So briefly speaking, it is the, the story. I have so many questions and I don't, I don't want to, uh, I don't know what direction to go into first, but, uh, what I, I'm like Sean a little bit where when it comes to seafood specifically in Russia, I, I don't know very much. So how is aquaculture compared to the fishery sector in Russia? Would you say that most of the seafood production that's done in Russia is from the wild fishery side? And if so, what is happening there? And, and then also, could you talk about aquaculture as well? I'm, I'm curious about the comparison between the two. Well, you could compare figures and it, it will be clear. Uh, we have annually about 5 million metric tons of wild fish. Of wild and fish. only 200,000 metric tons of seafood, which produced in farms, mm -hmm. aquaculture. Aquaculture farms. So very wild heavy. Yeah. And actually, it is uh, official figures. Nobody knows real figures for aquaculture. I think it's much less. Oh, you think so? Yeah, I, I'm sure. We is, have a uh, good statistic of uh, uh, wild fisheries. Wild fisheries, but statistic because aquaculture just started to be developed in Russia. 
and so many problems for farmers and so on. So uh, I know for sure that uh, it is not, not in good conditions. And despite the fact that bureaucrats saying that it has a bright future, I am pretty skeptical about it. Hmm. I'm sure we're going to spend most of this conversation, and I want to talk more about the wild fisheries specifically. So no one that's listening to this episode, well, most people who are listening to this episode don't know that we spent roughly an hour with you yesterday uh, doing a, a lunch and learn. And there was a very interesting video that you showed us of a fishing technique that took place in the Bering Sea, which I'm a little familiar. I've traveled to Alaska, but I've never been on the Bering Sea, but I have seen We've images. watched the TV shows. Yeah, we just... The ferociousness of that sea and the <laughs> dangers... I think the word you're looking for is ferocity. <laughs> and, and, and so be- before we go into those waters, the aquaculture that does take place in Russia, are, are those in the forms, and I'm sure it probably, a lot of it has to do with the climate. And so, and I'm just making guess- guesses here and you correct, please correct me, but would you say that the farming that does take place is probably geographically located in, in, a spe- in specific parts of Russia? And if so, is that mostly ponds or is there any... Technologies like re, uh, recirculating aquaculture systems in Russia currently, or like what, what sort of uh, farming? T- uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Techniques, yeah, we're yeah, techniques farming processes. Are, yeah. I mean, you said it's it's just kind of being developed now, or just recently started being developed. Are they still kind of using some some kind of primitive practices, or since it's being developed in a time where there is so much innovation, are they kind of starting out with? better technology than some of the other countries have? Well, I don't think that it depends on climate because uh, Norwegian water is also pretty cold, pretty mm-hmm. cold. And the, there are some geographically, some more convenient areas like fjords. They have a very well-developed system of fjords. We don't have it in Russia. Uh, not so many bays, which is convenient for aquaculture. And we have very rich history of aquaculture of freshwater and freshwater like carps aquaculture it's pretty primitive and well developed i mean in in many places mm-hmm. and we also have system of hatcheries to re- grow and release juveniles of sturgeons of salmon and we have very good system of hatcheries in the far east especially in sakhalin island but it is not, I should say, it is uh, from my perspective, my personal point of view, it is uh, not so good because we have very good natural reproduction of Pacific salmon, for example. Mm-hmm. We got last year about half million metric ton of salmon, mainly pink salmon, sockeye, king salmon, and so on. Uh, and as, as I said during my presentation yesterday, it reminded me situation when the person broke a leg and doctor, instead of curing him, he proposed him a wheelchair. You know what I mean? It is substituting of natural reproduction by artificial one. Right, yep. And they just close the river for salmon coming to rivers and get females got caviar and so on and so forth and after that step by step like in japan they do not have natural reproduction they just have only artificial reproduction so and instead of looking it at it as in a my s- country i don't want it 
So instead of looking at it as a, as a supplement, it was like an unnecessary replacement that actually ended up harming the wild population. And we calculated the one juvenile could cost $7. Can you imagine the economy of it? It is that heavily was, was not subsidized, heavily subsidized yeah. by the government. And I, it is not right direction. We arranged it several years ago with WF and Wild Salmon Center, a special workshop in Kamchatka. And we invited even Chinese there and discussing all these problems. And those recommendations still are valid because uh, some people are interested to construct these hatcheries because it's, they got government money and so on. So I am more interested to talk about what's going on with fishery because it's our main uh, industry, one of the main industries, especially in the Far East and in Barents Sea. We have special areas which are very rich. Uh, we, you name it, fish baskets. So we have also some fish baskets in Russia, like Western Kamchatka. And we, have, we are in the fifth place in the world, uh, total catch of Russia. So we are in good shape now. And we hope to be in a good shape. Of course, there are some problems. Of course, there are some obstacles. There are some like overfishing, poaching. The same, like, the same issues you see throughout every yeah, every that's, fishery. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious uh, because, like we said, we've done very little work with or about Russia uh, since Justin and I have been here because primarily we we for years were focused on only aquaculture, and now that yeah. we're expanding into wild caught we're starting to dip our toes into into this part of the industry as well. So I'm curious for our listeners who may not be as familiar if they're like me and they're just not familiar with the, the Russian seafood industry, where does uh, Russia sit kind of in regards to the global seafood industry when we're looking at that? Like, where where is where is your fish going? What species are you primarily catching? What is the major exports? How much is domestic and stuff like that? Just kind of where, where do you sit globally? Yeah, we have about... Two million metric ton of Pollock. Mm-hmm. Oh, Pollock. We name it Valley Pollock because Americans do not like it. Name it Alaska Pollock because it's Russian Pollock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a scandal about it. We're pretty um, stubborn. Yeah. And uh, anyway, it is mainly for export. For, uh, I should say that about 500,000 metric tons only stay in Russia. Stays in Russia. All other go into export, for export. So I want to pause you right there, actually, then, uh, because I want to talk about seafood in Russia. Most of the seafood, like, you know, when we're looking at places like China, Vietnam, Japan, seafood is such a major part of their regular diet, the everyday, everyday diet, Um, especially when you compare it to a country like the U.S., where we just eat so much less seafood comparatively. Is it a regular part of the diet in in Russia, of the the kind of average citizen's diet? I think it depends. It depends on the area. Of course, in the Far East, in Vladivostok, in Kamchatka, people are eating a lot of fish. Right, and that's where yeah. most of the industry is centralized around in the in the Atlantic, yeah, or the Pacific, and the, in Murmansk area, for example, yeah. in, the, in the Arctic. In central part of Russia, fish is not so popular, and there was some campaigning, promoting, and so on and so forth. But of course, Russians prefer meat, and uh, they, even we have say saying that. The best fish is a sausage. <laughs> but uh, it is growing. It's more and more popular. Beforehand, nobody could want to eat pollock. Let's then name it fish for cats. And blue eyes fish and so on. 
but it's getting more and more popular. Code was popular in Russia. Of course, we did not say in code we trust, <laughs> but it was popular, especially in the northern part of Russia. Uh, Sturgeons were how proud. Uh, we were proud of uh, sturgeons, Russian sturgeons and Russian caviar, but we lost them almost completely. Overfishing? Overfishing? Uh, no, mainly for construction of dams. Oh, okay. On rivers. Okay, and were those primarily caught for caviar, or did they eat flesh as well? Oh, flesh as well. Yeah, but of course, caviar is the most valuable. Right, right, yeah. Like red, red, red caviar also is the uh, most valuable product of Pacific salmon fishery. And uh, every year you could see uh, poachers left a lot of fish with cut it, yeah, this uh, stomach, strip and them, and they leave just them. took caviar and lay, leave leave fish on uh, on the shore. Real quick, has there been any conservation efforts for that species? Yeah, there are. Uh, of course, uh, the situation is much better than before with poaching. Okay. And uh, punishment increased drastically recently, and. Also, uh, fishermen are scared to to lose to lose their licenses, like their quotas, and also there are two uh, bilateral agreements between countries who are importing our fish, like North Korea and China and Japan. Beforehand, it was the situation was terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we published several uh, brochures on level of poaching, salmon poaching and crab poaching. One of crab poaching brochure was published by Dublin. One of crab poaching brochure was published by Dublin, the website of WFUS with our support, informational support. And uh, we helped them to publish it, to provide data and so on. Uh, but now it's much better. A couple of Good. days ago, I took part in hearing in Senate, we are considering new five-year anti-IUU plan for Russia, and we made some recommendations. I also uh, prepared special recommendation how to improve legislation, how to provide observers' rights, because they still do not have any documents stipulating their rights, how to improve VMS, vessel monitoring system, and so on and so forth. Okay, I, I I kind of let us down that uh, that little side road there, but um, go ahead and get back to to the uh, Russia's place in the global industry and kind of you know we talked about what's domestic, let's talk about what's exported and and how that sits. Yeah, so we said about Pollock. Uh, uh, I mentioned Pacific salmon, which is half million metric ton. Of course, it's considerably fluctuating. Uh, we have about 600,000 ton of cod and haddock, Pacific and Atlantic. Uh, cod, I mean, not haddock. Uh, about, roughly about 100,000 uh, metric ton of herring, 40,000 metric ton of crabs, especially snow crab and king crabs. We have... 200,000 metric ton of sardine. It is a relatively new target of Russian fishery because it's appeared recently, several years ago. And actually, my colleagues predicted it. Do you think they appeared in your waters because of climate change? Is that 
stocks have been well, moving? It is climate change, currents change, and uh, also fluctuations. And it you in the early Soviet time we got almost one millimetric ton of sardine Iwasi. Wow! It's a Japanese name Iwasi. Uh, now it's uh, less, about two hundred thousand, but it's growing. Interesting. Uh, well, again, I don't want to go down more rabbit holes. I want to make sure that we're that Sean that everything that I, is there anything else you want to? No, I just wanted to kind of give people an idea of of Russia's impact because you know I don't think at least our listeners and in the U.S. we don't really think about our seafood or you know most seafood coming from Russia. I think a lot of people think uh, that first of all they think local and then you know they think. Um, China. A lot of crabs is going to to United States as our uh, exploration show. I'm sorry, say that again. Yeah, I said that uh, a lot of Russian yeah. crab going to United States. And that's caught from Bering Sea. That's how our study showed. Is that? Do you think that's the biggest import coming over to the states from Russia or export? It is. It is uh, one of the most valuable products. So it is. And uh, there is a growing demand for it, so I'm not surprised. So what about the um, the government? How is the government involved with the fisheries? Are there there heavy regulations? Are they kind of like, is it kind of the Wild West out there on the ocean? Is the government not involved? Are there incentives? Kind of how how does that work? Because I know here in the U.S., uh, in some fisheries, there's a lot of government involvement, and in others, it's a little bit more, um, you know, they kind of regulate themselves, so... I'm just curious how that works. During the Soviet times, the government was uh, very... Actually, government was everywhere. And we have a very powerful minister of fishery who uh, stayed for several generations of politics. But he stayed and stayed. He stayed during the Khrushchev time, he stayed during Brezhnev time, and so on, Mr. Ishkov. And Soviet Union had about 10 million metric tons total catch. Wow. And we was in the second place in the world, I think. But now it's a, a private business. Big companies are operating. We have Russian billionaires who own business and they are just taking more and more and more. And now the situa- system exists, which I'm opposing to, is a quotas auction, which is considered as an incentive for poaching for fishermen because they spend a lot of money buying from the government quotas and right to fish. And to, to survive, they just forced to, to poach. Yeah. You know? And it is a problem. Our Coast Guard is uh, very well equipped and we have very well developed uh, satellite monitoring system. Now they introduce electronic logbook and so on. So control is getting strict and more strict and more strict. Uh, but of course, there are loopholes and some gaps, which right. are used and by business. And <laughs> I think most people uh, can agree that if there's if there's loopholes, the seafood people will find them. Yeah, that's true. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And also, I uh, I was a few person who introduced MSC Marine Stewardship Council certification in Russia. Nobody believed it that it's possible. And it was interesting. Jim Cannon from Sustain, uh, uh, SFP took part in the fishery, Fisherman Congress in Vladivostok and asked him to make a presentation for local fishermen because they better listen to foreigners than local 
guys, uh, Russian one. And how long ago was that? It was more than 15 years ago. Yeah. And uh, when during his presentation, two general directors of big companies ask each other, what is the bullshit about? Explain me. And say that, <laughs> you know, uh, Chinese stop buying your fish because Europe stop, will stop buying fish from Chinese, Russian fish from Chinese. And say, oh, I'm for MSC, of course. Let's do it. <laughs> if you can attach a dollar sign to something, yeah. you, know, you, can, you can get anyone on board. So what you do at GSA, you know, in the market development in, in Europe and, and Russia, are you working with, you know, getting like marketplace endorsers over there, getting some of the bigger retailers or the distributors to try to work towards certification programs such as BSP or RFES or MSC, any of those? Like, is that kind of what your goal is to, to get more endorsements around these certification programs? How's, how's that going? Uh, when I was uh, working with uh, WWF and I was a director of this program, I approached many times networks uh, like Ocean or Metro, supermarket chains and McDonald's and so on. But they're not so interested because they said there is no demand in Russia for certified fish. All certified fish is going abroad and there is a demand. But I, uh, I established very good relations with big companies despite the fact that we, from time to time, we had very uneasy negotiations. And we, for example, we closed down, shut down big scale drift netting in Russian EZ. Russian president signed special decree shutting down Japanese and Russian uh, drift netting. And many people were very unhappy about it. I played a role in it, I should say. Uh, but in general, I'm because I used to work with fishermen, I know them, I used to be for many uh, many months at sea with them, I uh, speak their language, I understand their problems. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to find some win-win solutions. For example, for long lining of coding, Hollywood, we propose them to use streamers to scale off seabirds. High mortality of seabirds was a problem, especially mm -hmm. short tail at albatross. And we showed them they are losing money because they are losing bait. And we calculated that one big company in Kamchatka, every year they are losing, due to that, $80,000 annually. Worth of bait alone. Uh, it was, uh, usually it is a, is a herring or squid, but when fish, uh, when fish on, uh, uh, I mean the bait on the hook, uh, seabirds attacking them, hooks, and mm -hmm. take yep. out the bait, and hooks are empty, they are not working. And it is what actually was a very good incentive for, for fishermen to introduce streamers. We brought streamers from the United States initially, then we arranged production of streamers in Kamchatka, and now almost all vessels long lining in the Bering Sea and Sea Ochotsk, they have streamers on board. And I'm guessing that you've seen results that, you know, much less... Uh much less bird interactions or... Yeah, mortality you know, dropped down yeah. by 80% of seabirds. That's great. That's great. And that's a simple thing, right? Yeah. So that, that, I'm actually glad you brought and that up. They're not designed by fishermen, by the way. This is why we ask in fishermen their advice is often. 
Because they know right. a lot of things which we don't know. They know what works. They're the ones out there seeing what works and what doesn't. Uh, yeah. I'm really glad you brought this up because this just kind of got me thinking. So you talked about long lines. That is, that's, is, is that the main, the main kind of type of fishery technique that you, that is utilized out there or what, what other, some of, is there, is there regulations around what type of fishery, what type of fishing techniques can be used or cannot be used? Like, you know, in some places they they ban gill nets. Are you, you know, is that allowed to be used in Russia or, you know, what, what are some of the other techniques that are used for catching the main so fishery say. for pollock and cod is bottom troll and pelagic trolls. And yep. about 80%, oh, 60% of Russian fish caught by trolls and Just by trollers. Trawling, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, we have uh, also Danish saying, we have uh, traps, fish traps for salmon. Uh, it is pretty effective and I'm surprised that in the United States this kind of fishery is forbidden for some. I should say some stupid reasons, I, yeah. in my opinion. Because it's, do you uh, know what those reasons are? Is it something to do with the some, Marine Mammal Protection Act? There was some kind of history event happened because uh, uh, fisher, uh, American fishermen did not want uh, this uh, kind of fishery. And there is a strong lobby of uh, drift netters and crusaders. It is my opinion. Despite the fact that uh, some American scientists said that uh, fish traps is much more effective economically and environmentally more sound. Hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. That would be an interesting topic to dive into, look into kind of the science and the economics behind that. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if we can there get, are some, some economists like, like Gunnar Knapp in Alaska who you could, you could approach and ask about. Yeah, that would be an interesting topic for sure. Yeah, and uh, also we have uh, long lining, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we used to have drift netting, but it's forbidden, big-scale drift netting. There is still small scale near the shore in Kuril Islands. Danish seine and poor seining. Yeah, that uh, video that you showed us yesterday, was that a purse seine? You no, know, no, it was trolling. It's that was just trolling. straight trolling? Trollers. That is a super troller with pelagic yeah, troll. That was, that was pretty yeah, impressive. I, yeah, I don't know how we can, you know, in a, on a podcast that's only audio, paint that <laughs> visual of just the uh, what do you even call those those how rough that sea was and how no one i don't know how often people fall overboard <laughs> but i i watching it on a tiny laptop screen was starting to get a little seasick and that was just it was very impressive and you got to give a ton of credit to the fishermen on those vessels having successful catch, catches on on uh, yeah. seas yeah, like that the, the hall was huge and i think you know in america when we think about fishing even even you know commercial fishing to a degree i think people still picture kind of the small boats uh that are trawling or they they you know they're using these these types of nets but um the hull is you know a, a decent size but i don't think most people would believe that one net hull would be that big in this this video that we saw i mean it looked like it was the size of a whale yeah bigger bigger much bigger than the whale yeah I mean, and, it really yeah. looked like you were pulling a humpback whale on the back of that deck. Like that's yeah, how big that hall was. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah, you 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 could uh, you 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 also have uh, association of big uh, companies with big vessels like Etsy processors, twenty six vessels mm-hmm. I think they own the super trawlers. Yeah, and in the donut hall area, we had long time ago 
American fishery for Pollock, Russian fishery for Pollock, and even Polish fishery for Pollock, and Japanese. So a lot of vessels were coming, and now it is for the closed by efforts of America and Russia. And But a lot of uh, people are interested to fish uh, in big scale. Uh, we don't have family business like United States hmm. who own only small boat and go, going into to to sea. We have companies which is operating hundreds of vessels. Yeah, these massive and it is one of problems all... in the future because there are a lot ambitious plans for constructing re, renew uh, the fleet, efficient fleet. And I am worrying about capacity. That capacity will be much more capacity of the stock. To revive, to reproduce, to be reproduced. Is that something that people are thinking about as they're starting to try and develop and build these new fleets? Is that is that on the forefront of people's minds, or is it just kind of like quantity? <laughs> you know, uh, some people are thinking about it because they invested huge money and they are not interested that in the future there will be no fish. Yeah, this is why this is why actually we are cooperating with fishermen on it, and from time to time. Even they called me and said, Constantine, help us to cut quotas. And recently we cut quotas for Hollywood, for example, which is overfished. Uh, and we have bottom fishing, uh, main fishery for cod and uh, haddock by bottom troll. And we are working on them to reduce impact of bottom troll on the vulnerable habitats, bottom vulnerable habitats. So, Khan, um I want to start to wrap things up. If this episode seems a little janky to any of our listeners, it's because we actually lost Khan. You know, we lost his connection and uh, I'm not sure what happened, but he was able to log out and log back in. So we have him back, but uh, it's, you know, we've been talking for a good while. I think, I think we have a pretty good grasp on what we wanted. We, you know, we wanted to get an idea of the industry in Russia and how it plays in with everything else that we talk about on the show. And so, Khan, I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about that. While you have the microphone and while you're here, uh, is there any other last-minute messages or anything that you'd like to get out there uh, before we finish up? Probably I should add a few words about bottom bottom trolling uh, fishery in Russia. Mm-hmm. We have a very well-developed uh, bottom trolling fishery in the Barents Sea for cod and haddock. And actually, there was a big problem of uh, impact of bottom trolling on vulnerable habitats, so named coral and spongy gardens. And now hmm. we are working with fishermen to diminish uh, impact of this kind of fishery. And now they're investing money in designing new troll, which is less harmful. And also, we agreed with them that they avoid trolling in some areas with uh, about 14,000 square miles, which they promised to avoid. And captains were ordered that they should avoid these areas. So again, as I said, we are trying to find solutions. We don't want to fight with fishermen. We are trying to find solutions. And I think it is the right way to do. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we're going to go ahead. Justin has something right at three, so we're going to go ahead and finish this off. But Konstantin Zgarovsky, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And we'll stay in touch. We'll talk to you soon. Well, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for your attention. It's a pleasure. It was a pleasure.
Folks, that was our conversation with Konstantin Skorovsky, the market development rep uh, in Russia for GSA. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something, and I hope you learned as much as I did, because I sure learned a lot. But remember, yeah, I hope you learned multiple things, not just one something. Yeah, hope you learned all kinds of stuff. And uh, <laughs> if you want to keep learning more about the seafood industry, particularly in different countries that maybe you don't know anything about, make sure that you're subscribed to Aquademia on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. And follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can do that at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we would love it for you to leave a rating and review for Aquademia on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. That's right. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. (laughs) 